0: Good morning, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Yeah, no snow this morning, so that's always a good thing right now. Uh, We're going to be continuing our series and study in the book of James. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James, and we're going to be analyzing the the wisdom that God has for us in this, this beautiful letter, writing from the brother of Jesus. And so, as you turn there, I, I want us to process something. And so, last week, uh, what was the main theme of James? What, what are we called to do um, in this midst of the world of trials and, and hardship? Um, when God brings us through trials and testings, we are called to count it all. Do so you remember? Count it all joy, Right? Uh, Because one of the things that we realize is that when we go through hard and difficult seasons in life, uh, this is God at work in our lives to really reveal things that He wants to accomplish in our lives and what He really wants to form in our character. And and after that sermon, I was reflecting on something that that C.S. Lewis said. And C.S. Lewis brought up this illustration in his book, Mere Christianity, that often our, our lives are like houses, and our, our lives are like houses that are going through a process of renovation. Now, who here has ever went through renovations before, right? Now, let me ask you this question. If it was with your spouse or with a family member, who here had arguments during those renovations? <laughs> right? The majority of us, right? And the reason those come is because when you have two perspectives on what should be done about the house, well, naturally, you have a disagreement. And, and Lewis comes with a perspective, and he says, you know what happens in our lives, in our relationship with God, is that when we come to God, we know that God is going to do some renovations in our life, we know that he's, he's going to change some things in our lives. But what we don't realize is God's going to start knocking down walls and replacing landscaping that we don't want to touch, right? <laughs> we don't even want to go there. And, and yet what God does is he comes in our life and says, you know what? There's some things that I know you don't want to deal with, but you need to deal with them. And he, he calls this seasons of testing. And the beautiful insight that that Lewis brings out in this illustration is he says so often in life we are content living in just a nice shack. But he says what God wants to do is transform you into a mansion that he can live in, where his presence would abide, where God's spirit would be there. And so Lewis reminds us that the testing that comes in our life is this reorientation, this reforming, this God becomes almost like a construction worker that begins to tear apart everything and yet has this beautiful desire to rebuild it for good. And and this is really what we're coming at with the, the perspective of James, James is all about how do we grow into the likeness of Christ? How do we allow God to renovate our hearts? How do we allow God to renovate our lives to the point where it becomes this beautiful place of the spirit of God's indwelling? And and that's really what he talked about last week of, of why we can go through trials counting it all joy. Because when God allows us to go through some destruction and and allows us to go through some intense renovations in our life, we can count it joy because the presence of God is permeating even more and more in our lives. That's the hope that James gives us. Now, what he's going to do as we study this section of of this week in, in James verses 13 to 18 what, what James is going to do is, is build on this thought of testing, and he's going to take us into another realm of understanding temptation. And, and so, if last week we looked at a, a mark of spiritual maturity was, was persevering wisdom, in other words, we go through the hard things of life and perseverance, acting in wisdom, humbling ourselves before God, counting it all joy… Uh, This week, we're really going to examine James talking about this is what it looks like to resist temptation in your life. This is what it looks like to resist temptation. And and what he's doing, he's not really starting an entirely new topic here. When he looked at testing, he said, here are some external things that are going to come in your life. And these external factors are going to reveal things about you and test you. But now he says, but what there's also going to be in your life are temptations. And these are going to be internal things that you experience, internal desires of your heart that can lead you away from God. And so he says, testing, that comes from God, right? Temptation, what James is going to tell us, that's not of God. Whose fault is it when we succumb to temptation? ourselves. What James is going to tell us is that it's actually our desires, our individual responsibility, our internal battle that is actually accomplishing, succumbing to temptation. And so therefore, what James is going to tell us, we have to deal with the desires of our heart to really overcome and resist temptation. And so that's where we're going to begin. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read a section of Scripture together. Uh, Gracious Father, we come before you, first of all, confessing that we do not like when you tear apart walls in our houses. When you disrupt things in our lives, Lord, we resist, we push back. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a wisdom this morning. You would give us a humility that You would just give us a perspective of how desperately we need You to actually experience true renewal and renovation in our life. And so I pray that Your Word would just convict us this morning. Not just convict us of, of sin and temptation, but Lord, but it also might inspire us. It might inspire us to see the beauty of the life that you have for us, the the beauty that you can bring, the path of death, of of sin and temptation, and actually, when we die to ourselves, we can find life in you, Jesus. And so I pray that you would just convict us, but also inspire us this morning as to what you have for us. Thank you for the wisdom that you present to us through James here. We thank you for your word. Amen. 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 So so let's process something as we get into this discussion of temptation. Where is the first story of Scripture that we see temptation at play? The Garden of Eden. And what's going on there? What happens? Where's the first temptation? The serpent comes to Eve, and what he does is he begins to get her to doubt the goodness of God. And what he begins to do is saying, you know what? There's this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this tree actually would allow you to know the things that God knows. And God is actually holding out on you by not allowing you access to this tree. And so Eve begins to have this doubt in her mind. She says, well, God, why can't Adam and I go there? Why are you holding this back from us? And, and she begins to doubt the goodness of God. And she begins to think that God is refusing or holding back things from her that would make her life perfect and complete. And, and so, the, the first temptation we see in Scripture is the temptation to doubt the goodness of God. Now, that's going to be important as we continue our discussion. And so, that's Eve. And, and what does Adam do? Does he do the exact same thing? He does the exact same thing, right? And what I find fascinating in this story is the very beginning of the story of humanity, we already see them failing to temptation. They just come, the story begins, they fail. (laughs) That's the story of humanity, right? We come and we fail. That's what we accomplish in our lives, right? And, And something's fascinating here because they realize Adam and Eve, they both fail. They realize they've made a mistake. They've realized that when they go through their own life, through their own wisdom, things become chaotic and destructive and dysfunctional. And, and what's their first impulse? What's their reaction when they realize they've failed? What do they begin to do? They begin to blame, right? And, and this is where the story gets interesting. They, they begin to blame. And where do we see Eve blaming? Who does she blame? She blames the serper, right? He deceived me. He tricked me. It's his fault. And then Adam, who does he blame? He blames Eve, but he more blames God, so to say, because he goes to God and he says, you know what? Uh, Life was going well. Things were functioning well. Uh, Life was sort of perfect. And then you sent the woman here. (laughs) And he's not just blaming Eve, but he's actually blaming God. He says, God, it's your fault. God, how could you allow this to happen? God, what you set up wasn't perfect. God, how could this happen? And and so I want to make a couple things clear as we, we go into this discussion of temptation. The first reality of temptation is that temptation, when we succumb to it, means that we are doubting the goodness of God. Whatever it is in your life, Whatever it is, no matter what sin you fall into, if you fall into sin, what it means is that you didn't think God had the best intentions for you. You didn't think that God had the best purposes for you. You didn't think God had the best pleasures and satisfactions for you. You went beyond what God desired and you fell into temptation because you doubted God's goodness. And then after you do that, we do the same thing as Adam and Eve. We we blame everything around us. We blame our circumstances. We blame our situations. We blame people in our life. We we blame everything that we can blame. We even blame God. And, And this is what James wants us to realize, is as he begins writing, he says, you know what, just like Adam and Eve, we play the blame game. But we as humans are so prideful and arrogant that we actually blame God. And and this is what he says. As we go through testing in this life, he, he makes a distinction here. He says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by who? By God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? Desire. That's a key word. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And, when, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And so James says, first of all, hold up. When you're going through temptation and when you give into temptation... You alone are responsible. You have the sole responsibility for succumbing to temptation because God does not bring evil. God does not lead you into evil. God is is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. God is separate. God is completely devoid of evil. He doesn't bring evil into this world. He doesn't commit evil, and He doesn't entice anyone into evil. That's James' logic here. And he says, so at the end of the day, the only person to blame is who? It's us, right? That's a key thing to realize here. And so this is it. So the question then, if God is not the source of evil and sin, well, where does evil and sin and temptation come from? And this is where James reminds us, he says, it comes from our own desire. Now, what's fascinating is God created us to have desires, didn't He? And God created us even to desire things that are good. But where temptation comes is when we desire not just what God has given us for good, but when we desire what is beyond what God has given us for good. When we follow or pursue or act out things that are against God's good plan. Again, we're doubting the goodness of God. And, and so here, here's, here's a, a mind game I want us to play for a minute. Uh, the church throughout history um, has, has used a phrase called the seven deadly sins. Has everyone heard of the seven deadly sins before? Uh, the seven deadly sins uh, originated in the writings of a, a guy named Pope Gregory the Great. Uh, the reason he's called Gregory the Ge- Great is, is um, many reasons, but one of the reasons is John Calvin said he was the last great pope of history. The rest all got corrupted, he said. And <laughs> And, and Pope Gregory the Great was, was very pastoral in his writing. He, he had a very acute sense of the need for the church to deal with sin. And so he began to say, here's what I see are the seven sins that have truly plagued humanity. And this list has lasted throughout history. It really became more popularized by Thomas Aquinas, the theologian in the 13th century. But even today, we still have a concept of the seven deadly sins. Now, let's just process them for a second. What are these seven deadly sins that the church has acknowledged throughout history? What are these seven deadly sins? Does anyone know any of them or any guesses? I'm sure we could probably guess them even if we don't know them. Pride, right? That's actually number one on the list, pride. Greed. Gluttony. Pardon? Gluttony. Yeah, gluttony or drunkenness. Yeah. Lust. Lust yeah. Jealousy, Jealousy envy. Anya, yeah, slothfulness. Right. One more. Pardon? Murder, no, that's obviously bad, but it's not on the seven deadly sins. Yeah. Anger. Anger is that last one. Good job, Wes, but you heard it this morning, so you cheated. (laughs) But but process these things. Because these are these are some of the main things that plague us as humans. These are some of the main temptations that we fall into. And yet what we need to realize is that God has given us desires that are good, but it becomes sin when we corrupt these good things. And and so even let's process these in this sense. Well, when we think about pride, pride means exalting yourself. Pride means having an opinion higher than others. Pride means puffing yourself up, so to say. Now, what's interesting is how are we as humans created? We are created in the image of God. Out of all the creatures that God created, do we not have an elevated status? We do. Now, what's fascinating is that God has given us one of the highest positions in all of creation, And yet we still need to puff ourselves up. Isn't that interesting? And so pride becomes a major one. Uh, What what about the concept of greed? What has God given us? God has given us every material thing in this world. Has anyone created anything out of nothing lately? (laughs) Every material thing in this world God has given us And yet, what do we say? We say, we want more, right? We take the good and we distort it. What about something like lust? Well, well, God has given us the gift of passion. He's given us the gift of sex. He's even given the the joy of celibacy to some people. And, And yet, what we have is... We take these good blessings from God and we distort sex into something that's perverse, don't we? We distort it in so many ways. We distort it in the way we function with sexual partners. We distort it in adultery. We distort it in pornography. We distort it in prostitution. All these things, something that's good has been deeply distorted and destroyed. Uh, What about envy? Envy. And jealousy. Think about this. Did, did you create your own life? Did you make yourself exist? No. God created you. God brought you into this world. He brought you in a very specific time, in a very specific place, for a very specific reason, for a very specific purpose. And what we do is we say, God, that's not good enough. I want something else. I want someone else's life. I want someone else's experiences. I want something else, right? That's what we do. Uh, what, what about gluttony and drunkenness? We, we take the beauty of food and drink and wine, and we, we take the, the beauty of it all. I mean, there, there's so much expansiveness of cuisine in this world, and yet we distort it to, again, this greedy mentality of wanting more and more and more. Uh, what about anger? Anger. Anger? Well, could you imagine a life without emotions? Anyone imagine a life without emotions? Just static on everything? That would be a, a horrible existence, right? But, but we take God's gift for our ability to express ourselves and to communicate. And, and we take those gifts and we use it to abuse power, to abuse our opinions, to abuse our perspectives, to outlash at people with anger so that we can control them rather than communicate with them. See, anger is this massive one. And then the, ra- the last one, too, is, is, is sloth or laziness. And when we think about it, God commanded us, when we look at the, the, the concept of a seventh-day renewal, on the seventh day, what were the people of God supposed to do? supposed to rest. There was supposed to be a Sabbath, a, a Sabbath. And, and so we even take this, this gift of rest and rejuvenation and, and this gift of God, and we turn it instead to laziness and slothfulness. And, and so what I want us to realize, first of all, is that when we're talking about temptation and sin in our life, What we're doing is taking the good things that God has given us and we're corrupting it. We're distorting it. We're using it for something that it wasn't created to be. And and basically what we're doing is, is we're taking a good thing and we're inserting a bad thing in it. What we're basically doing is fooling ourselves Where we have this concept of of something that God created as good, we want to distort it and turn it into something that is evil. And, And James illustrates this point like this. He says, basically, what we're doing is we're saying the goodness of God is not good enough. Therefore, we're being enticed with our desires to do something else. And he says what happens in this temptation is, is we function like this. We are being lured and enticed by our desires. Now, what is the picture of being lured and enticed? What is that an image of? It's an image of fishing, isn't it? It's an <laughs> image of fishing. Uh, being lure, I mean, we literally call a, a hook a lure, right? When we cast it out of the water, we're, we're luring a fish in and we want to drag it in. And James uses this imagery of, of fishing to give us a perspective on what temptation looks in our life. Now, now what's going on with a fish? Well, we use a lure, right? And, and what we do with a lure to catch some fish is we, we bring something out that looks delicious to a fish, right? I know you guys probably wouldn't want to eat this up, but whatever, a fish would. And we take something that looks intriguing and attractive and beautiful. It looks like a fish will find some nourishment and satisfaction and be able to survive off of it. Uh, and we lure and entice a fish like this. But in reality, at the end of the day, the good things are simply a cover up and deception of what? The hook. So, a fish goes from the perspective of, this will nourish me, this will satisfy me, this will help me sustain in life, this will bring me pleasure and satisfaction, where at the end of the day, what's it really bringing? Bringing death. And and this hook catches that fish drags it to shore, drags it to the boat to the point where now the fish is in the boat where they cannot breathe, they cannot survive. They get beat over the head with a club. They get cut open and we rip out its guts and then we chop it into flays, don't we? That's the life of a fish. That's what happens when temptation comes to a fish. Now, what, what James is bringing out is he's saying, guess what? Do we as humans not function the exact same way? Don't we? We, we function the exact same way. And, and James gives us this caution and he, and he reminds us, he says, you know what? Th- this isn't something that you can take lightly. Th- this isn't something when temptation comes in your life that you can sort of just pass off and say, oh, I gave in a sin, whatever. No, this is something that is luring you to death. This is something that is luring you to destruction. And and so he he gives an even greater picture. We'll come back to the fish later, but he gives even a greater picture next. Um, He says this. He says, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to what? So so when we act out that temptation, when we bite the lure, so to say, when we succumb to that desire, it leads to sin in our life. And, And then he says that sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth what? Death. In other words, our desires can deceive us. When we are deceived, we act in disobedience. And when we are disobedient against God, we are producing death in our lives ultimately eternal death. And, and he says that it's this imagery of, again, of, of childbirth, of giving birth. Now, this one I'm not going to act out, <laughs> but, but it's this imagery of birthing death into the world, right? Birthing death. And, and this is the lie that we believe. And, and back to the first story in Genesis, I, I find it fascinating when we read that story That for for the deceiver, Satan, to deceive the woman, he has to tell her something. He has to tell her, he says, you know what, you you can eat of this knowledge of of the tree of the fruit of the good and evil, and you will enjoy it, you will be satisfied, your eyes will be open. And and then he gives us this caution though, doesn't he? he? He says something, he says, you will surely not what? You will surely not die. That is the clarification that the deceiver has to give in temptation. This isn't going to kill you. This isn't going to destroy your life. This isn't going to tear things apart. And and this is the the daily struggle that we all face in our temptation is believing that lie. Saying, oh, this temptation is not a big deal this isn't going to lead me in a path of destruction. This is just a one-time thing. This is just a thought. This is just something else. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to process this. I don't have to confess this. I don't have to repent of this. Where James says, no, this leads to death. This will kill you. See, this is a a concept that we, we have to realize over and over again is Temptations come in our life always in the form of a deceit. When you go fishing, you're not going to stick a sign in the water to warn the fish and say, hey, this is a hook that's going to kill you. Satan doesn't function like that either. He's going to say, this looks delicious, go eat it. I'm going to drag you to your death. And so here, here's the, 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 the depth of the question we have to realize is this becomes extremely important for us to process. And, and so I want to ask the question, and, and it's a blunt question, it's an honest question, but this is something you need to process. And this is probably something you need to talk about with others and your home groups or your discipler or your mentor, whoever it may be. But what temptations do you struggle with? If you don't acknowledge them, and if you don't deal with them, then you are just living out the ignorance like a fish, always being prone to deception and lies. And so growing up fishing with my dad, uh, there's something I learned from an early age, that when you're fishing and you're trolling in the water, when you catch a bunch of fish, do you leave that spot? No. You hit it over and over again, right? You troll back, you troll forth, you you hit that spot over and over again because if fish are biting there, more fish are going to bite there. And as a young child, I remember thinking, how stupid are fish? Because all they see is their friends being dragged away into boats and, and basically suffocated to death and ripped apart, and yet they're still doing the exact same thing. And and, and this is the the perspective that I came to. Fish are dumb. (laughs) I mean, I could literally sit on a dock, and I could cast my line in the water, and I could have my lure sitting right there, and I could even see the eyes of the fish looking at me, and I would just stand there, and it would still bite it. Even with a, a rod and a line and a fake fish, even when it was caught on, they just didn't get it. They were so easily deceived. And and James is saying, you know what? As humans too, we are so easily deceived. And, And so these are things that we have to process. These are things we have to deal with. This is deceit that we continually have to wrestle with in our life because this is something that is leading to death. This is something that drags us to death. And so, how do, we, how do we deal with this temptation, and how, how do we resist it? Well, the first thing I, I think is important is to, first of all, acknowledge the deceit. <laughs> acknowledge that you are more like a fish than you want to acknowledge, right? You are much more easily deceived in this life than you realize, and that there are more temptations that you succumb to that you could ever process. And and, and so acknowledge that reality. Acknowledge the deceit. Um, A second aspect that was told to me years ago, which has sort of always stuck to me, is this question. If I were the deceiver, if I were Satan, so to say, the accuser, what would I attack in my life? what would it be? If I were Satan and I was trying to lead myself into temptation, what would he attack first? What would he go after? What are my weaknesses? What are my vulnerable spots? Where have I failed before? These things have to be acknowledged. These things have to be dealt with. And so acknowledging that reality at play. Um, Here's another one. This is a little... uh, Freedom Session plug for for you guys. Uh, Freedom Session, we do something called the Alert Plan. Any of you grads remember the Alert Plan? Uh, The Alert Plan is the strategy, a very practical strategy of how we can deal with temptation in our lives. And it's called the Alert Plan because it's basically A-L-E-R-T in each sort of anachronism. And so the, the first one, A, it's to admit in specific detail what I am thinking about doing. If there's a temptation in front of me, it's saying what I'm about to do in specific detail is this. And so actually admitting what you are processing about doing. And so I am admitting that I am processing about gossiping or slandering someone because I am so frustrated or angry with them. Acting that out. I am admitting that, you know, I am so uh, lonely right now in this season of life that I I am going to look at pornography right now and I'm going to go down that path of destruction, right? Or or it's admitting that finances are difficult in this season so I'm going to take some extra money here from this person and sort of hide it. it. It's admitting in specific detail what I'm actually processing about doing. Then the L comes along. And the L says, well, what are the lies that I'm telling myself to justify this? How am I lying to myself to the point where I could act out in something that I know is directly against God? What am I lying to myself about? What are the lies that I'm believing? And then the the third aspect is the E, and this is escape. And it's saying, what am I trying to escape in acting out this temptation? What am I avoiding in my life? What is the hurt? What is the pain? What is the stress? What is the sorrow? What am I trying to escape by acting out this temptation? And then the R, this is probably the most important one. R is resist. Resist the temptation. That's what spiritual maturity is all about, resisting temptation. If you can't resist temptation, then you are just a fish floundering in the water. And so resist temptation. How do you do that? Well, you resist it by by doing three things. You play out the story to its conclusion. You begin to process, if I go through with this... This is what's going to happen. This is the end of the story. This is what it's going to result in. Because so often when we realize that if we were to give in temptation, is that going to be beneficial to our life or harmful to our life? Harmful every time. And and so play it out what's going to happen. Uh, Pray to God that He would help you escape. And then the most important one is, is probably plan. And this is just planning for four hours, whatever it may be, to say, instead of succumbing to this temptation, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to plan to do something else. I'm going to call someone to let them know what that plan is. And then that fifth, the T, alert T, is in that behavior. So, I was thinking about doing this temptation, but instead… I'm going to do this. I was thinking about being lured in to do this bad action, but instead I'm going to do something good for God and good for the kingdom of God and good for my own soul, replacing, trading in that intended behavior. Key points, okay? Alert, really easy to memorize. But here's here's probably the most important thing, and this is what James brings up. This is what he really focuses on. When we are prone to temptation, and we find ourselves succumbing to temptation, what James reminds us is that we have to remember the goodness of God. And he says this, he says, don't be deceived. Don't be lured in. Don't allow yourselves to doubt the goodness of God, because he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from whom? From above, coming down from the Father of lights, every good thing in this life, every perfect gift comes from God. And so, don't doubt, don't think that God is holding you out or holding out on you somehow in this life. He says, trust Him, believe Him that He is bringing good. And so, let's let's just pause for a second and process that together. Let's just process that, you know what, God is a God who brings good and perfect gifts to our life, and so often we we forget them or take them for granted. So let's just exercise what James is calling us to right now. What are some good and perfect gifts from God that we take for granted all the time? Let's just rapid-fire them together. What are some of those things? Yeah, food, the blessing of nourishment. Family, yeah, community and being together. necessities of life. (laughs) We have food, water, oxygen, everything we need to survive in this planet. Right? It's it's crazy to the point of the fine-tuning of the universe for life to even survive here. Right? What are some other things? The The very breath we take. Every breath we have is of God. Even our belief, yeah, that God has revealed Himself to us so that we can even know Him. The gift of eternity, amen to that. We're going to talk about that more. Yeah, music, I, I mean, the joy of singing and song and celebration and praise, right? Right? Even the the intricacy of notes and like it's just mind blowing when you look at the details of creation that are purely and simply to produce joy and happiness in our lives. What are some? There's got to be a lot more. I want more rapid fire here. Pardon? Yeah, free will, our our ability to respond to God and love for Him, right? That we're not turned into these robots, but we can actually worship God and desire and passion to Him. Friendships, yeah? The relational aspect that God created in us. Yeah, nature, right? Creation speaks to the glory of God. Yeah, work itself, work is this blessing to use our hands to glorify God and to create and and use just as God is a creator, we get to create things of beauty. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, the the blessings of of God gathering people groups together. Yeah. Yeah, communication that we can talk, we can commune, right? And so this, this is something. This is probably one of the most important aspects of fighting temptation as well, as simple gratitude. Because when we don't live in gratitude and when we don't acknowledge all the goodness that God has brought, not in just our individual lives, but to life itself, We turn to complaint, we turn to grumbling, we turn to envy, we turn to anger, we turn to all the seven deadly sins, basically. Why? Because we doubt the goodness of God. And you know what? Even in this season, in this past year, I've seen this be a struggle for so many people. Is saying, well, how could God allow us to go through these things? Our response is we need to get out of this situation as quickly as possible. And we doubt God's goodness in everything. And doing so, we turn not into lives and hearts of gratitude and celebration and counting it all joy, but instead we turn to rebellion Rejection, animosity, anger, pride, arrogance, all these things that have no part in Christian maturity. Isn't that interesting? And and so, James says if you forget the goodness of God, it's going to wreak havoc on your life. Now, here's what's beautiful. James also brings something else up. He says, we have good and perfect gifts. And then he brings us to this. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. In other words, we are are brought forward into the presence of God through our union in Christ. Being in Christ, we now have a newness of life. We are escaped. We are no longer bound by sin and temptation and death, but we have newness of life. And here's what God is doing with us in Christ. Here's the beautiful imagery. That we should be a kind of what? First fruits of His creatures. What does it mean to be the first fruits of His creatures? Well, when we look at it from this perspective... All of humanity, all we've been successful in from the very story of Genesis is bringing sin and temptation and rebellion into this world, right? We as humans are very good at that. (laughs) And and what that has brought is a path that we're all walking towards to death. Sin and temptation leads us to death. Death. That's the only path we're walking on. But what God has done is He created us as first fruits of His creatures. What does that mean? That means when we're in Christ, we no longer have to walk the path of death because we have learned that when we are in Christ, we actually die to ourselves. And in dying to ourselves, what do we find? We find life. See, tenet, sin of temptation. Here, here's the lie. Temptation says, "Do you want to live? Do you want to be alive? Then what do you do? You succumb to your desires. But where do your desires lead? Death. And then God comes and says and says, "Do you want to live? Do you want to even experience eternal life? then you need to die to your sin and temptation and I will bring life. See, God has, has reversed everything in the sense where we conspire with our earthly desires and our flesh nature and our sin to purely produce death in this world. But God, on the other hand, what he is doing is he is regenerating us. He is recreating us. He is renewing us. He is given this newness of life so that we can be these first fruits. We, we can be this image. We can be these holy and set-apart creatures showing to the world, What it looks like when sin and temptation don't rule. That is the the vision that James is giving for the church is to be this holy, set-apart priesthood of believers that we were called to. That is what is being put before us. That is what we are called to. That is what God desires from us. And so this is what is before us. How do we accomplish that? by acknowledging the goodness of God, trusting in the goodness of God, dying to our sin and temptation, and living for Christ. Amen? That is what we hope for. Let us pray to that extent. Gracious Father, we come before you. First of all, in confession, Lord, often our desires are not your own. Our desires are are selfish. Our desires are self-seeking. Our desires are prideful. Our desires are arrogant. Our desires do not take in consideration you or others. And so, Lord, we confess that so often we, we take these good things in life that you have given us And Lord, even the testing and trials that we experience in this life, you work together for good. And yet we reject those things for our own desires. And we abuse the good things you have given us. And instead of resisting temptation, we run to temptation. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would just empower us by your Spirit, to resist temptation, and to run to Jesus. Jesus, you are our only hope in this endeavor. We were simply a bunch of fish in the ocean with no wisdom, no insight, always being lured and enticed by evil desires and the deceit of the evil one. And yet you have come to seek and save the lost. You have come to restore us to Yourself. You have come to defeat the powers of sin and temptation and death. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be truly, as James calls us to, as You call us to, the first fruits, the image, the picture of what it looks like, what humanity will look like, and the fruition of the kingdom of God, where all things are made right. And Lord, we are made right in your presence. We long for that day, but Lord, if we truly long for it, may we live it out here and now. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to do so, we pray. In the precious name of Jesus, The church says amen.